was so intent on getting a free lunch out of Todd. We got a couple of things we need to pray for and rejoice in. Uh, one is that Ricky and Tanya Teal are new grandparents. Uh, Savannah Payne born this past Wednesday morning, and we rejoice in that with them and want to continue to pray for them. And then also just to pray for a need within our body, and I don't know, God may use you to know us some help in this need, but... but uh, Pray for uh, Rebecca Ritchie and her mom. Her mom has Alzheimer's, has had it for a long time, and it's in just a really critical stage, and it's just really a stressful time. And I would just encourage you to pray for them, and uh, pray for her and for, for Dason, the whole family, really, but especially for Sarah, uh, her, uh, her mom, who is uh, in their home or has been in the hospital right now. But just to lift them up in prayer. Remember, I'd like for us just to spend a moment praying together. Could we do that? Let's pray together. Father, we can, we can easily forget to pray for one another if we're not, it's not called to our attention clearly. And Father, we rejoice with Ricky and Tanya and Alicia and Michael and Gracie and the whole family in the birth of this precious little one that you've given to them, Savannah. And pray, Father, for her development and her strength and her growth and her maturity. And Lord, uh, to her being drawn to you at just the right time by your Holy Spirit, we ask all those things. And Father, we pray for the riches right now. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort and strengthen and give wisdom to them and to us, Lord, and how we may be able to minister them as a part of our body, as a part of our church. Lord God, we need, we need one another. And we need one another not just when we're at our strength and not when we're just at our best times, but we need one another, Lord, when we're hurting. And we need to hurt with one another, as Paul said, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. And Lord, it's, it's sometimes hard to know how to do that. So, Lord God, we need your counsel, we need your wisdom, we need your, your, your direction, we need your strength to do that. Father, we would ask you to grant that. Uh, grant, Lord, especially Rebecca strength right now as she's caring for her dear mom. And, Lord, uh, just give her strength in you. Thank you, Holy Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6 as we continue in this study of, of Romans. Chapter 6, as I said earlier, is, has been called the most important section in all the New Testament, perhaps all the whole Bible, by many biblical scholars, by many people far smarter than me. But others have also uh, said it's the most, one of the most difficult passages in all of the Bible to understand. As a matter of fact, one of my theological and pastoral heroes, Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, recounts in one of his volumes on Romans, he said, one Sunday evening at the close of an evening service at Westminster Chapel, somewhere around 1943, he went to be with the Lord in 1981, he says, somewhere around 1943, a certain well-known preacher came into my vestry and, and, and said to me, 
When are you going to preach a series of expository sermons on the epistle of Romans? And most of you know, because I mentioned before that he did that, and he took about 13 years to do it. He's got multi-volume set on Romans. But this particular preacher said, when are you going to preach on Romans? To which Lloyd-Jones answered immediately, when I have really understood chapter 6. I'm kind of wondering if maybe I should have followed a little more of Lloyd-Jones's counsel on that. Because chapter 6 is a tough one to deal with. It's a tough one to grasp. It's rich, and it's practical, and it's meaningful, and it's life-changing when, when it's grasped even just a little bit. But the depth and the width and the height of that chapter is absolutely unattainable in completeness. And so I stand here today as one who wants you to know that I don't have a, a complete grasp on Romans chapter 6. I, I know what it says, and I believe what it says, and I depend on what it says every single day. But how that works itself out in its totality is a difficult thing to do. We're going to try to do a little bit more of that today. I, I hope you'll remember that I said that beginning in chapter 5, and especially in these first 14 verses of chapter 6, Paul's great concern is us understanding this concept of union with Christ. That we have been brought into union with Jesus Christ. That we have been made one with Christ. That we are in Him as well as Him being in us. And there is this unity and this union that is really multidimensional in our walk with, with Christ every single day. It has several dimensions. That One, it has an eternal dimension. And we understand that to realize that, that, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, for God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That is, before there was ever anything created, before there was everything in the world, God was already working to call a people to himself. And, and that was before Adam and Eve. That was before the fall. That was before sin entered into the world. But God had a purpose and God had a plan. That's why the cross is not God's plan B, as some people have falsely called it. God, the cross was always God's eternal plan. And it goes into all of eternity future. We know that one day we will dwell with him for all eternity if we are in Christ. It has, uh, it has a, an eternity past dimension. It has an eternity future dimension as well as a present dimension. Secondly, it has a covenantal and really an incarnational dimension. Since in his, carnation, in his incarnation, Christ was obedient as the second man and the last Adam, which we've seen Paul talk about in this, since that takes place, it has a covenantal relationship and a covenantal uh, uh, aspect to it. We are brought into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are brought into covenant with the God of all creation, the God of the universe. We are now in a covenantal relationship with God. And in that covenantal relationship, it gives us the ability and the pleasure and the, and the privilege of being in covenant with one another. And if you're a member of Grace Baptist Church, you're a member of this church because you came by covenant agreement. You, you, you agree to the covenant that we dwell under. And, and we, I could go through that covenant now. I don't have time to do it. But understand that covenantal aspect has a vertical dimension where we are in covenant with the living God and a, and a, and a horizontal dimension where we are in covenant with one another because Adam uh, caused the fall and Jesus brought the restitution from the fall. And so as, as the second man and last Adam, 
Christ in his incarnation has united us together in Christ. That is the whole dimension. It also has an experimental or experiential dimension to it. Since the Holy Spirit working in our life brings us into a real spiritual bonding with the risen and the ascended Lord. It's not just... It's not just thinking. It's not just saying, well, we know that it is eternal. We know that it is covenantal, but but what practical effect does it have? Paul says, I want you to understand, it has an experiential, it has a practical dimension in every day that you live. If you are in Christ, it makes an absolute difference in the way you live. And he he lays that out for us some later on in in this book. So the corollary here between this in Christ, being in Christ... Paul wants to say it follows then that we have been with him in everything that he did on our behalf. We were with him on the cross. Because we are united with him, we were with him in the grave. We were with him in his resurrection. That, That this whole idea is Paul working this out as our representative and as our substitute and, and we recognize, as we've already seen talking about it, we have been crucified with him And that crucifixion is the most important thing that you can rely upon in your daily walk with Christ to make applicable on a daily, daily basis. It would not be too much to say that that the church is still trying to figure out all the the truths that are in Romans chapter 6. That the church and preachers everywhere, this one included, is still trying to mine and glean and understand all that the Apostle Paul is trying to to bring together in this. So I want you to hear the whole of the passage again. We're going to focus on 5 through 10 and talk about what it means to live with Jesus not uh, right now, not just in heaven, because that's Paul's greatest concern here. He's beginning to, to lay out the concept of sanctification to some degree, and we'll get into that later. But I want you to hear this passage. All that was introduction. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, there's that concept we looked at two weeks ago, we have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death, we were We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him, if we have been brought in union with him, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never, ever, ever die again. Death death no longer has dominion over him at all. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The Apostle Paul in that passage, and specifically today in verses 5 through 10, is, is wanting us to grasp the implications by just spelling out in detail what we know. You notice Paul doesn't say, we hope that we have died with Christ. He doesn't say, we, we really hope that because of that we will live with Christ. He doesn't say there's a good chance that on the basis of what Christ has done, then there's a chance that we might be with him for all of eternity. Paul lays out here the implications of what we know about ourselves as those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus and who have died to sin. He said, this is what we know. This is fact. This is not some kind of religious jargon that we're using. It's a reality of what is taking place and what has taken place in the life of every believer and is being amplified and applied and lived out on a consistent basis. He starts with the fact of we have died to sin. There's the fact that our old self was crucified with Christ. He doesn't equivocate on that. He doesn't say for some of you who have become Christians, now you've been crucified with Christ. He said, every one of us that are in Christ have been crucified with Christ. That is a fact, Paul says. Not a hope, not a fiction, not a myth. It's a reality. And then he goes on and talks about the end view. What, is, what we're looking to is that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. We'll, we'll talk about what he means by that and that, that idea of brought to nothing in just a minute. But it's important to understand. That is a fact that, that, that Paul is saying. Here's what we're looking to. We're looking to, to the fact that the body of sin that dwells within us might be brought to nothing. The result is that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When you are in Adam, you are in slavery. When you are in Adam, that is not in Christ, when you are in your natural state, you're a slave to sin. There, there is no question about that. You say, but I know a lot of people who are not Christians who do a lot of good things. They do. And they do them out, do them out of all sorts of motiv motivations. But, but the scripture is very clear that it's not done by faith in Jesus Christ. It is sin even to do the good things. Because there's, there's always a selfish motive. There's always something there that's a little different than when done by faith in Christ. But, but Paul says, we want to be no longer enslaved. You are, you are, the result of your death is you're no longer enslaved to sin. And the reason for our new freedom, Paul says, is simple. It's because he who has died has been set free from sin. If you're here this morning and, and you are in Christ, you have died, and, and the bondage of sin has no hold on you, no authority over you, no, no demands upon your life. Only as, we, only as we say yes to it does it take a place in our life again. And that's important to understand. Paul says, look, 
You, we know that our old self was crucified with him. So this has happened in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The, the verb that Paul uses there, brought to nothing, expresses the idea of rendering something inoperable or barren or of no effect, no longer able to exercise the authority it once had. And, and so Paul says, while sin had authority in your life, it demanded of you and you obeyed it without question in Adam that in Christ it no longer has authority over your life. How does that, how do, we, how do we get a grasp of that? I don't know, maybe this will help, I don't know. I, I read this last year, I read about this last year, and I saw someone else talking about the application. I think it's, I think it's fitting. Last year, a South Korean by the name of Kim Si-woo won the Players' Championship in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. Won it all, 10 under par. Won several million dollars by winning that. He was South Korean. Just before that tournament, he got a letter in the mail. Now, he'd been living in Dallas, Texas, and his father and his family, and they were living in Dallas, Texas, but he got a letter from the South Korean government. They have a mandatory conscription into the military service when the government needs you. And in 2017, there was some, uh, n- uh, some new uh, anxiety over the North-South situation. And so Kim Su-woo uh, got a letter calling him up for active duty in the military. He appealed it. He said, I'm living in Dallas. I'm making millions of dollars. I- I'm one of the top golfers in the world right now. And if I come and go in the military it's going to have a negative effect upon my earning potential, and it's going to have a negative effect upon my life. I'd like to ask to be released from that. To which the South Korean government replied, no. It's mandatory, and mandatory is for everybody that is a South Korean citizen. So he had to go. Now let's just suppose or imagine for a minute that a month or two before he got that letter, before he played in the Players' Championship in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, let's just suppose that, uh, that Kim had applied for and been granted U.S. citizenship. And he had gone, he had taken the test, by the way, a test that none of us could pass for the most part, or many of us couldn't. He took the test, he passed the test, and he was sworn in as a brand new United States of America citizen. Just to suppose that happened. When he got his letter from the South Korean government, he could have responded to them, I am no longer under your dominion. You have no claims on me. I am free from that compulsory conscription into the army at this point because I am now an American citizen. I am no longer a South Korean citizen. And that would have been legitimate grounds for his getting out of serving in that army because he had taken on a new citizenship and was now under a new authority. Even though his genes were still Korean, even though the past influences of his life as a South Korean were present, his status would have been radically changed. And on that radically changed status, he could say to the old government, if you will, the old authority over his life, He could say, you no longer have authority over me. Now, they could still try. 
but they would not have any legal bounds, any legal authority at all because he's living under a new set of laws as United States citizen. Still South Korean by nationality, but he was now one no longer. He was an American because he had become, and, and, and no matter how he felt inwardly, he might have felt some draws back to the old. He might have felt some allegiances to family back home. He might have felt a lot of things. But no matter how he felt, this would have become his new identity. I think that's what Paul has in view here. I think Paul, and that's why I had Pastor Todd read the text out of 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says, you're no, longer, you're no longer aliens, you're no longer strangers, but now you are a people of God, you are a, a holy nation, you are a royal priesthood, you have been called out of darkness into light, you are now out of one kingdom, the kingdom of Adam, and now you're in another kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, and the authority that the old kingdom had over you does not exist any longer. I, I love the song that the newer version of Amazing Grace that we sing. When it talks about, you know, my, my chains fell off. I, I, was, I, was, I, I saw your grace. Your grace filled the light of my, my, my prison. And my chains fell off. And I, I was able to get up and walk with you then because you had set me free, Jesus. And Paul is saying that's exactly what hap happens here. It, a few things he's not saying. He's not saying that sin has been absolutely, totally, completely destroyed as though Christians now live in a perfect world. We're still in the world. We're not to be of the world. We're to live differently from the world, but, but we're still in the world, right? So, so sin has not been totally and finally destroyed yet. In the future kingdom, it will be. In this kingdom, it's not. On the, on the earth, it's not. He's not, he's not saying that we no longer experience the influence and impact of our past life as though we'd never been in Adam. I would imagine Kim, even on the golf tour, had he declared himself an American citizen, would have still felt the draw and the pull and the attraction of his former life as a South Korean citizen, which he still is. But had he done that, he would have still felt the influence and the draw He's not saying that sin's present, presence has been eradicated from your life. Now, one day it will be. One day it will be. It's the whole aspects of salvation. The, the, the past aspect of salvation is that you've been justified. That is, you've been declared righteous before, right before God. You've been declared not guilty. And the penalty of sin has been nailed to the cross. And you no longer owe the penalty of sin if you're in Christ. And you never will. Then there's the present dimension whereby we are being freed from the power of sin. That is, the old authority still tries to influence us. It still tries to draw us. It still tries to call us. But we now, being freed from the power of sin on a consistent basis, a, 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 a continuing basis in our sanctification, can say no to that. Now, sadly, many times we say, but you know, the old world, the old life, the old... The old life I live, it's, it was kind of fun. I kind of want to stay in it a bit. Paul says that's, that is inconceivable for the believer to even play with that. We're not perfect. 
We are far from it. But what Paul is saying here is that we are no longer citizens of the kingdom in which sin reigns. Our citizenship has been transferred. We are no longer its slaves and no longer its sub or, or, or no longer its subject. We've been set free from that. We have become citizens of the kingdom of Christ in which now grace reigns. Paul made that point. He said, you know, back in in chapter 5, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, listen, understand this. We live now in a kingdom where grace reigns through and in Christ Jesus our Lord. So important to understand that. So important to grasp that. And that's why Paul, I think, takes in these verses, verses 5 through 10, we've been united with him in a death like his. It's why he talked about in verses 1 through 4 that we were baptized into his death. And we were, we, we've been baptized and buried in baptism, by baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He, he uses that illustration of baptism. Now, we sometimes make what I think is a, a very troubling era in which we think that baptism, when we go into the water, is illustrating something that we do or we have done. That somehow it, it's the point to faith that we have been able to, to, to draw from the depths of our soul and we have faith now and and we've done this, and we're going to declare this, and, and everybody can see this, that what we have done. Paul wants to understand that baptism is not pointing to anything that we have done. Baptism is pointing ultimately and completely and gloriously to everything he has done in your life. Everything he has done. He has brought you to the point of death. He has brought you to the resurrection. He has brought you to the glorious truth of his gospel. He has by grace and by his Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see your need for a Savior and opened your heart to believe in the only Savior there is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment of of transaction that takes place, he does a work in you that is unlike any other work that's ever been done at any other time in all of eternity. He brought you to death and to life in Christ. So so Paul is saying with baptism, we need to to see it this way. I'm no longer the person I was in Adam. I'm a new person in Christ. To the Corinthians, he's going to say, Behold, when someone is in Christ, all all old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. Now that sounds as though there's an absolute perfection that takes place there. But he goes on to explain how that's not an absolute perfection until we see him face to face. I'm no longer the person I was in Adam. I'm a new person now in Christ. The baptism also points to the fact that in Christ, I'm someone who has died to the dominion of sin. What do I mean by dominion of sin? I mean the authority of sin. 
yeah, I wish to high heaven that God had said, you know, when I do crucify you on the cross with Christ, then everything, every bit of that sin is going to be done away with. You're going to live perfect from that point on. Our, our families would be better. Our marriages would be better. Our kids would obey us better. I mean, it'd just be, it would just be glorious. But, but he doesn't take it away. But he does take away its authority. Sin in your life only has authority in your life when you give it that authority. It doesn't have any natural authority. Just as someone who has left one nation become a citizen of another, the old nation no longer has authority over them. It doesn't have authority. You're no longer under the dominion of sin. Baptism also shows us that in Christ, I'm someone who's been delivered from that dominion and transferred into the kingdom of God. And as a part of that kingdom, there is the church. There's this body. There's this body who, after having come in covenant relationship with God, is now in covenant relationship with one another. There is the rejoicing in the kingdom that I've been placed in. There was the kingdom of darkness, and I lived in that darkness. I was in that darkness. I was in Adam, and you were too. But now we've been brought into the kingdom of light, and in, in that, we are, to, we are to share one another's burdens. As I said earlier in praying, we're, we're to hurt when others hurt. We're to rejoice when others rejoice. But you know what? In order to do that, you've got to know who's hurting and you've got to know who's rejoicing. And you don't do that by coming to church on Sunday morning. And as soon as I say amen in a few minutes, you're out the door and gone in your own little world again. There's a reason that the, the body of Christ is referred to as a community. There's a reason that, that it's talked about as being in covenant. There's a, a reason it's talked about as being the body of Christ together. Because when you hurt, the whole body ought to hurt and hurt along with you. Yesterday I fell off a ladder. That was really fun. I landed in a very precarious place on my body. And my whole body hurt all day. My hands were always going to that place and rubbing it, trying to say, Go, feel better. That's what my hand was saying. I heard it. <laughs> saying, don't hurt so bad. Didn't listen, but it was there. It meant something that it was there, okay? When we are brought out of darkness into light, when we are brought out of the dominion of sin into the dominion of Christ, what does that mean? Into the lordship of Christ. It means we don't have to obey sin anymore. It means we've got a, as the writer of Hebrews said, we, we now have the, the law of God, the purpose of God, the truth of God written upon our hearts and written upon our minds. It's not an external tablet that we look to that says do and don't. 
It's the Spirit of God indwelling us, doing His work in our life to be able to look at the old, old dominion and say, I don't want you anymore. I don't like you anymore. I don't, I don't want you calling the shots in my life anymore. Because I've been placed in a new kingdom. I have a new dominion. Sin, you were my ruler, but now Christ is my ruler. You were my Lord, but now Christ is my Lord. And by His grace and for His glory, I want to I submit to Him and not keep looking back to the old life, the old way, the old dominion that caused me to walk in darkness. John says, listen, we who are in Christ walk in the light, not in the darkness. In 1 John. We who are in Christ are, are walking in fellowship with Him, and because of our fellowship with Him, we have fellowship with one another that we are in Him together. It's not just a Lone Ranger thing. It's not just, hey, me and Jesus got a good thing going, and I'm with Him, and I don't need anybody else. That's a lie from the old dominion try to keep you from seeing the reality and the joy and the beauty and the glory of this new dominion. Are any of us everything God wants us to be? No. Are any of us going to reach that before we say goodbye to this world? Sadly, no. But the question we have to ask is this, am I seeing a movement in my life to where I'm seeing more of the, of the new dominion and less of the old dominion? Am I saying yes to the old dominion less because the new dominion, the new Lord, Jesus Christ, is now working in my life, changing my life, drawing me close to Him, and making me different than I was before? You know what the sad thing is? Most of us, me included, would probably say, I know I'd say, you probably would say this too. When I came to Christ, whenever that was, when I put my trust in Christ, when I knew that I had a relationship with Christ, my life changed. And in many of cases for us, it changed dramatically. Unbelievably. The Spirit of God just did a work and boom, different person. As time went on, that should be growing. There should be a, a joy that was there that is just growing exponentially as we, we walk with Christ. And there, there should be a, a more of a saying no to the old life and yes to the new life. But you know what happens so many times? We get so complacent in our Christian walk. We get so complacent in our church life. We get so complacent in any kind of interaction with other believers except maybe one little small group that we, we kind of click up with and, 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 and spend our time with that we don't really know what's going on in the whole body of Christ. And, and we spend so much time just in ourselves that, that we look back to the old life and say, well, you know, that wasn't that bad. I kind of enjoyed that. And as I said the other week, 
Sin is always fun. I, I think maybe, I know I'm in Christ, but maybe I can go back and just do that, and, and Christ has already forgiven me past, present, and future of sins. Maybe I can go back. I can just do that for my own little bit of joy, own, own little bit of happiness, own little bit of pleasure. And surely God will understand. Paul said, Paul is going to tell us in today's sermon, but it's next week. You must, you also must consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, understand yourselves, believe yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Paul has said it's a fact for a believer, that's what happens. But he says, you've got to be constantly thinking about that. That's got to be a focus of your life. That's got to be something that you're seeing as a reality. You are always focusing on what God is wanting to do in your life, not what you are wanting out of your life. Because we will always be drawn. We will always be drawn by the flesh to disobedience. Consider yourselves, know yourselves. And that last verse in 14, again, I'm getting, next, I'm getting ahead, I'm out of my notes, I wanted to make this little point, and I'll close with this. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Since you're not under law, but you're under grace. Since you have a new Lord, a new master, a new king, a new president, if you want to put it in vernacular we understand in this country, you have a new ruler in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you be rebellious against that ruler? Or you'll say to him, Lord, I want your reign. I want your work. In my life. Let's pray together. Father, this is not just matters of religious talk. This is matters of life and death. Spiritual life, spiritual death. We have for so long been deceived by the enemy that becoming a Christian just means you raise your hand, you walk an aisle, you go through some water, and, and then you're sell, sealed and set for life. There's no real change in life. That is such a lie. And too often we bought into it. Father, I pray that you direct our hearts, direct our thinking to where our citizenship is. Are we still being citizens of the earth? Citizens of the world? 
citizens of the United States is the most important thing in our life? And think that does something spiritually for us? Or do we recognize that while we live in the United States, we are aliens here? We are, we are aliens here. We are foreigners. We are, we are strangers in this land if we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Lord, help us set our eyes on our true citizenship. Father, it's only you that can do it. And we ask you to do it. By your grace and for your glory alone. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our, our, our hymn of...